Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who loves to frock to and fro through the through the fields of Sweden, I guess. I'm not sure. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, given cinematic midsummer celebrations, I feel like I would rather partake in this one than maybe some more famous other the, ones. Yeah, some other ones, yeah. I that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, it does still end not great. As they are wont to do. That's um, fair. That is fair. Like, I, I'm more, I am deeply fascinated, not so much by the main story, but the sort of huge mob of side characters who just seem to be running wherever the fuck they wanted at any given time without rhyme or reason. Is They are deeply fascinated because it's a huge mob of people who, yes. as far as I can tell, are functioning as a herd. <laughs> it is really fascinating to me. Uh, well, they are having a party, so it's the party herd, and everybody loves a party herd. In a in a in a time period where party buses don't exist yet, right. party herds are where it's at. Have I ever uh-huh. told you about party buses? <laughs> Listen, so I'm familiar. I'm familiar I know, with I know the concept, you're familiar but... with. I was trying to think of how to introduce this. So I I help with a exchange program. Uh, not my the one for my university, but but another one for junior high school students. And what we go visit this town in in California. I'm not going to name names. This is not a bad story or anything. But the only bus one year they could get to pick us up from the airport was a party bus. So there was a stripper pole right in the middle of the <laughs> bus that we were picking up a bunch of junior high school students to take them for a homestay. It was like, it, like, because I mean, I guess like that's the thing. Like, is like the party bus clearly just had a was just being run like, you know, it's a party bus, but also you can just rent us out. Like, we'll just pick you up and drive you places. But I guess, you know, stripper poles are not a thing you can take out, yeah. like, easily. So it was just there. In the, and, like, it didn't look like one, but I'm like, I know what this is. Like, this is not a safety pole because it's in the weirdest, most awkward place it could possibly be in. Uh, and I was like, this is, I, I you know... I guess you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do when you own a party bus, I suppose. And uh, yeah, it was just fascinating to think like I I was just marvelled because you know, the 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 discos the, the sort of lights and stuff were all still, but the corner was all turned off obviously because it was the middle of like a Wednesday at like three o'clock in the afternoon or whatever, picking up junior high school students, but you could still see yeah. the lights and all that stuff. And it's just like we're loading their suitcases in and stuff, and I'm like, this is quite the party bus that we're riding around on. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Criterion. if you want to uh, help us out. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what the next bonus episode is going to be. It is always a non-Criterion film. It is Unless they fuck us over and turn it into a Criterion right, film later. Right. I'm looking at you, Ernest Goes to Camp. That, that the, the Ernest box set is on the horizon at it's any given happening. moment. It's definitely happening. No, we know it's happening. We know it's coming. He's an underappreciated uh, genius is what they're going to say. There's going to be a lot of, like, movie critic reviews on it, you know, and, like, uh, 
and I, like uh, interviews with various directors and stuff. It's gonna happen. I stand by Jim Varney being described as an unappreciated. Genius. Yeah, no, totally, so. totally fine. I'm not, I'm not arguing that it's wrong. I just like, it's just a thing that like it could happen. It's real. Yeah. It won't happen, yeah. but it could. Happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, we do. We have watched Ernest Goes to Camp over there. We've watched uh, some movies that have actually been added to the collection after we watched them, like. Uh, Oh goodness! Failsafe, uh, Sydney Lumet's right. Failsafe. Um, we uh, we watch just a, a very wide variety of stuff over there, and always on the uh, on the poll, uh, option number five is always Kazam, the Shaquille which O'Neal should be in the Criterion movie. Collection, but is uh, really like once they put it in the Criterion Collection, we'll have to take it off the list. Right, right. But I feel like we'll have done our our duty to society when that happens. When getting it getting it named. Uh, Maybe they'll write a, let us write an article for the uh, for the God, DVD. I hope so. <laughs> uh, when that gets released, uh, it'll be yeah. That's our when our ticket comes in, Pat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Think about what qualifies you for the Criterion Collection, considering the reason why Robinson Crusoe in space is in the Criterion Collection. We right, know plenty that of, matter of fact. Plenty of movies were in the Criterion Collection because the person who made that decision really liked it as a kid. So right. eventually we'll get to the point where timeline-wise, the movie that one of Criterion executives was obsessed with while he was, was nine Kazan. years old yeah. was Kazan. Totally. So. totally. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. all very possible. It's actually kind of surprising that the Ernest movies aren't in yet. Right, right. Because we've hit the timeline point where that could happen. Where it should have happened, yeah. 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 Uh. <laughs> Uh, but that is that is a dollar a month uh, for a little extra five dollars a month. Uh, we uh, we only promise to thank those people on air, uh, and it was very promising. Lots of people at five dollar a month, even just a couple months ago. Uh, but all of those people have recently up to ten dollars a month. Uh, so uh, so I don't get to thank any of those people on air anymore. Uh, well, well, I mean, you get that as part of the next bonus, yeah. I mean, because that is also part of the next bonus because every every level contains the levels below it. We should just not let the ten dollar a month people vote. <laughs> I don't I'm sorry, you're idea. you've 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 exceeded that capability. I mean, you're just you're beyond the need to vote anymore. But about the five dollar a month, and uh, unfortunately, even with the five dollar a month, we we record about six weeks ahead right now. So if you sign up for the five dollar month, it's still going to be a month and a half before. Right. You get I mean, we closed air. the gap better than it was before. I mean, right, the gap right. was, it was like even fairly recently. It was it was over eleven weeks for a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, ten dollars and above, we do something that's really great. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard and. Uh, and write a little thank you note, uh, a little personalized note, and mail that off. So if you like physical mail, um, if you like bespoke art, if you like uh, just supporting us with uh, more money than you should. Maybe you um, need kindling for your fire. I don't know. If you like it, <laughs> I don't know. The uh, Wrap a fish It is photo paper. It is, it is treated, so maybe burning it isn't yeah, environmentally the best yeah. choice. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we coaster. do like to thank coaster. those people. You could use it as a coaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would work real well. Um, we'd love to thank those people on air as well. So thank you very much to Jonathan Hape, to Jason Westhaver, to Adam Speckerman, Michael McGrath, and Christopher Otto for your yes, $10 thank you. and above support. We uh, really appreciate it, for real. Really, really do. <laughs> really, really it. do. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, again, that is patreon.com slash lostincriterion if you want to get in on that. 
and we do greatly appreciate it. This week, we are talking about Miss Julie, a uh, film directed by Alf Schoberg, uh, an adaptation of the play of the same name by August Strindberg. Um, and, yeah, it's from 1951. It's Swedish. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> Swedish. <laughs> well, that's that's one interesting aspect of this, and one of the uh, one of the Criterion essays, um, the one by Peter Matthews, um, sort of focuses on uh, more on the film than the other. The other uh, is more about Strindberg, the stage director, um, or the playwright rather. Um, he was a director as well, and and certainly directed his first iterations of the play, but. Um, yeah, Bridget, Bridgetta Stein's or Steen's uh, Miss Julie Fiery Gloom on stage is more about the stage play, whereas Peter Matthews' uh, Miss Julie the Three Bergs is uh, more about the movie and the relationship of the movie to the play. And also, interestingly, um, perhaps in trying and more overtly trying to justify its inclusion in the Criterion Collection than possibly any essay uh, aside from the one about Armageddon has done. Right. <laughs> um, uh, um, Matthew's focus for the first couple paragraphs is uh, on tokenism. Um, particularly... Uh, and he, he mentions examples from all sorts of other countries, but particularly how uh, American film critics have a tendency to latch on to one director from a given other country as the director to talk about. Um, okay. Pedro Almodovar with Spain, even currently, over, say, Ariche or Julio Medem um, are his examples. Uh Ray in India, as opposed to anything from Bollywood. Uh, Tarkovsky in the Soviet Union, as opposed to anyone else. Um, he doesn't mention it, and maybe it's a little more iffy, but certainly uh, uh, Kurosawa in Japan. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's pretty... I mean, like, you know... But then, yeah. To, yeah, I agree, yeah. generally Japan, speaking. Japan's a little more ingrained, I think. Right. Um, but certainly before we started this, Kurosawa would have been our... Would have been your go-to, yeah. If, yeah. if somebody said, like, hey, you, name a yeah. Japanese director. Well, yeah. I mean, but then again, like, that's talking about... is that So is his argument about tokenism within normal people's perception of, of, of other countries or He is talking critics? specifically about American because I don't, critics. Right, see, I don't know that Which that's why he true doesn't, of critics. Which is why he doesn't mention Kurosawa. Right, but he's like, I, I, I'm right. pretty sure you could ask an American film critic today, like, name a couple directors from Japan, and I yeah. would hope. <laughs> that at least Ozu comes up. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah you would hope uh, that some, anybody, like, I mean, there's, there, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But he he mentions this in service of talking about our director here, Schoberg, um, as really the foundation of Swedish film, despite the fact that Bergman is the the better known, uh, Matthew's essay even goes so far as to call Bergman a pretender um, to the throne. Wow. An uh, imitation. Um, and Bergman at one point even said uh, that... Uh, 
that Schoberg was a major influence on him. Um, right. And it's it's clear from this, and this is this. Is, let's see. A few weeks ago, we watched the earliest Bergman we've ever seen. Uh, right. Sawdust and Tinsel. Right. And that right. was what two years after this. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, Schoberg's earlier film, or or maybe just after this, Torment, uh, is Bergman's first big deal, uh, because Bergman was the screenwriter on that. Um, and that came out in 1944, so it was it was a little bit before this. Uh, so, yeah, Bergman. In in Matthew's reading, Bergman sort of established himself in the shadow of Schoberg, and then eclipsed Schoberg, uh, perhaps unfairly, uh, at least within American critical consciousness. Well, um, I mean, we don't, I don't know enough about Schoberg to know. I mean, like, right. Keep and in this mind, is the like, only yes, Schoberg early, we'll see. Right, Bergman well. starts maybe start. I mean, definitely does seem to start in this sort of vein, but like clearly does not end in this vein. Right, like does it goes in totally like in a like in a well, pretty? He goes back and forth too. Like this is certain, true. This certain is aspects true. of of Bergman's later work are very much like this. They're too. like this, but I would say they are more like I mean, in terms of like high drama and stuff. Like yeah, this is this is much more of a standard sort of. I mean, except for sort of the suicide at the end, right? Like it's pretty. Um, it's pretty standard, sort of. It feels like pretty standard. I'm trying to think of like what to call it. Like, it feels like other types of plays and stories like this, right? Right, right. Like these sort of like, top, you know, like, like manor house, romance, yeah. like illicit romance dramas. I don't, I'm like trying to think of like what you would call that genre, but you know what I mean. It exists. Yeah. It's a thing, right? Like a bajillion romance novels have literally been written on that pre- on the premise, right? Uh, so, so that actually gets to a, a different interesting aspect of this, and one that the other essay, uh, Brigitte Steen's essay, kind of speaks to, is that Strindberg, uh, our playwright, was alive from 1849 to 1912. And Miss Julie, one of the reasons it has been indelibly popular throughout history, um, actually, I, I think of the, uh, it is not something I have been familiar with. I'm not super familiar with with stage plays. Period. Right. Right. Yeah, um, me neither, so but. so Strindberg sort of exists in the back of my mind from from college courses, maybe. But uh, I don't remember actually ever interacting with Miss Julie before. Um, and if I had heard of Strindberg, it almost certainly would have been Miss Julie. So I have to imagine that I'm just misremembering having heard of Strindberg before. Um, right. I mean, but, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But an interesting aspect of this is that the first time I remember hearing about Miss Julie is uh, an episode of The Marvelous Miss Maisel from the second season. Uh, there's a subplot throughout the latter half of the second season where uh, Maisel's comedic rival, the much more famous uh, uh, comic, uh, I can't even remember who plays her, but uh, she's, uh, she wants to get into straight acting. And decides that she is going to do this by starring in Miss Julie, <laughs> okay, uh, and insisting on doing doing Strideberg. Uh, 
an idea that is introduced in the show quite quite funnily by just having her yell Strindberg as at her agent. <laughs> That's what she wants to do, but uh, to a completely confused agent. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I was I was <laughs> bewildered. There is just enough of the actual play in the episodes of Miss <laughs> Maisel uh, that I I was able to recognize what was <laughs> right. What what the hell was going I, on? I started I started watching this and thought, wait, why does this feel familiar? And then realized, and I felt very weird about it. Um, but but yeah, right. uh, Steinberg though is. Is working ahead of his time, I suppose, is what I mean to say by right. the background there. Um, maybe not necessarily on story function, though certainly this is a common romance novel plot, but romance novels themselves uh, aren't necessarily following this plot prior to. Uh, right. Yeah, no, I, I yes, When they're I, actually I, being written in the era they're set in. Uh, but um, Schreinberg's innovations here aren't necessarily plot-wise either. Um, Schreinberg shot for a naturalistic staging. Um, and what he means by that is this is a one-set play. The play takes place entirely in the kitchen with okay. the table. It is a three-character play. It is Julie, John, and the cook. Okay. No one else. Uh or at least no other speaking rules. Um, instead of painted backdrops or a suspension of disbelief in scenery, uh, the cook is actively cooking actual things. Uh, oh, interesting. It's, okay. not, it's not just pans painted on a backdrop. It is a wall built with pans hanging on it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because yeah. of that, because of that aspect of it, the cook, uh, isn't performing toward the audience at least, and at least the cook isn't, um, the, in the original staging, the table is meant to be at a 45 degree angle to the front of the stage. Um, meaning it is not the, the flat parallel to the proscenium that a, uh, a seating arrangement would normally be in, well, yeah, in a stage play. I, yeah. I mean, I've, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's, certain, I guess that must have may have been new at the time, right? But, it was new at the time. Um, and, and we're talking, you know, we're talking, he died in 1912. So, <laughs> so we're talking over a hundred years ago when in, these innovations were being made. Every play you have seen <laughs> exists after Steinberg. So, right. Totally. Uh, <laughs> You are familiar with things he might have done first without knowing that he did Right, them although first. some of them clearly went by the wayside, like cooking on stage. <laughs> right, uh, right, some right. of them for the best, I'm not, some of them for the worst. I'm not sure if she was actually physically cooking something. I, I assume more, it was but, more just dealing with physical yeah. objects, not probably. Yes. Like, I, am, I, am en I am enamored with the idea of actual cooking happening on stage, though. Oh, <laughs> the idea that, like, fucking the, at the end, there's just yeah. a meal that the audience can eat. Like, here you right. go. Right. Um, I'm sure that innovation has been attempted. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, at least. And I'm sure it was terrible. I'm sure it was a nightmare. <laughs> right, right. Thousands uh, of people food poison, you know, but. Uh, well, as long as, you're, as long as you're doing your play in real time, which 
ostensibly this would be as well, right? Because it is a single conversation taking place right. in a a single uh, act. There are no act breaks. There are right. no intermissions in Steinberg. Um, what the movie does as outside material, um, when like, and I mean physically, when they are physically outside, not right, not peripheral material, but when they are outside um, or in a room other than the kitchen. In the play, all of that is uh, dialogue discussion of these things going on right. talking yeah, about mean, the past uh I talking figured, about yeah. what else has happened um obviously let's say, let's say this shorthand into like showing because like they yeah. still have in the movie the setup of okay i'm going to tell you this story from when i was you know right, right. whatever however old right? right and then they and, show it rather than tell it because you know that's what you do in movies right right because because Schlobert can do that right Right. Uh, Schreinberg, Schreinberg is is stuck. Uh, well, in the play, I mean, by his worse, own, right? I mean, yes, by yes his and no, right? By his own right. choice to not not do that, right? Like I by mean, his own idea, it's, it's a reasonable, it's a good choice. I mean, you can definitely right. do that sort of like parlor room. You, just, right. you know, let's not pretend like multi set plays didn't exist in the late eighteen right. hundreds. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> of course. Oh, no one's ever no one's ever left the kitchen before. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, of course. Um, so, you know, part of uh, part of Slowberg here is uh, innovating on staying true to Steinberg's play in the right ways, but still making it an interesting film. Right. Uh, and in that regard, he adds more characters. Um, we get the the groom played by Max von Sindow, uh, who at this point in time was twenty one years old. Still looks uh, like he's ninety. Like looks like he's in his late fifties and and has murdered a man. Yeah, totally. He, he always looks like he always looks like he does in Seventh Seal. It's yeah, like, totally. No, that's just like, that's just. I, it, what it really lets you in on is the fact that like he was probably chosen for Seventh Seal because he looked that way. Right. Right. Like ah, oh, this person is perfect for this role. Yeah, and and you know Seventh Seal, he's. He's probably like twenty five during seven. Yeah, C, probably. Right? No, yeah, absolutely. Or twenty. Dude has always looked right. like a fifty year old man <laughs> who's seen some dark ass shit in his life. Right, right. Um, the uh, the count is not in the original play. Obviously, he's talked about in the original play, and his shadow uh, plays over the original play. Um, certainly, Julie's mother is not in the original play. Um, Though she would be talked about, to I think maybe the movie's detriment because I agree. I think so. A lot of a lot of the misogynistic tendencies of this movie happen in the interactions between the count yeah. as the henpecked husband of a uh, yeah uh, budding feminist. Um, yeah, totally. And that's Probab- it's, it's problematic. It, it is, <laughs> yeah. The issue, I, I, I would agree. I think this movie has hit on a fatal flaw that often exists in converting stage work to film, is that those are not the same thing Yeah, in any way. Like they, It's very easy to imagine that they are, but they're not. Uh, and even the better, the better stage work that we've seen, like sort of stage work-esque things that we've seen made in a 
that were filmed oftentimes weren't actually based on a stage play, but just were made to look like they were based on, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm specifically thinking of high and low and some things like that, right? That had that sort of stage feel without actually being based on a stage play. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, the problem here is that like that you, you're right. Like, but it's also even be like, in addition to the sort of misogyny and things like that, like it's also just n- in some ways, not a good adaptation. Like, adding all those characters just makes it messy. Yeah. Like, and the thing about it is is that the stage play could not be made as a film without changing it. That's impossible. Because, I mean, I mean, it's possible. We, we have seen what we would eventually, we would, we would call a drawing room yeah. uh, film, but they are very painful. <laughs> as a general Often. rule, I mean, they're not they're not always they can be done right, but they're I yeah. think, very, very hard to the point right. of being not something probably generally worth attempting. They are so painfully they are they are physically painful when they're bad. Right. And astonishing when they're good. But that's very hard to pull off. Even even in films that we've watched for the collection, say, um, where they are beholden to stagecraft as an idea. Uh, that either doesn't last or they move beyond it in other ways. Right. I think of, I think of Bergman's uh, Magic Flute, where we see... Right, where, yes, yeah. The downtime totally. of the actors and the background, <laughs> the backstage material uh, and the, the metastage material. Right, um, yeah. Or High and Low, where the first act is shot very much like a stage play, Right, uh, and then sort of lets go of it, yeah. And then it lets go of that. Uh, or the uh, that one uh, Olivier um, Shakespeare adaptation, I can't think of which right, one where, where right it, now. Yeah, where it starts I, as a, it starts in the globe and then and becomes then sort of a realistic, yeah. more realistic portrayal of the action, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... So playing with it in different ways is certainly something we've seen before, um, both for comedic for comedic effect, for dramatic effect, and for storytelling effect all all around. Uh, here, I think I think a more loyal adaptation of Strindberg's work could exist and almost certainly does exist. Uh, there are other film versions of Miss Julia that almost certainly do different things. Uh, <clears throat> mostly because you can't, you can't just remake Slowberg's movie, right? right. <laughs> so, uh, at least I hope you can't. Uh, well, I mean, but, uh, I, we know that you can, I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> of course, of course. You? Yeah. Um, so I think, actually portraying some of the flashbacks is very good and i think the way those transitions happen are almost always very good where they're yeah. they're talking about some past trauma and then you know sort of just very discreetly uh that starts happening you know it's never it's never super abrupt the way yeah we don't we don't do happen. any like weird sort of like screen things to make it happen yeah. or anything. there's no yeah. like the way does the screen doesn't get all wavy and go all zach morris <laughs> right, 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 like right, right right um yeah uh i'm particularly troubled 
by the portrayal of the mother and father in those flashbacks. Yeah, totally. More so than any other additions. Uh, the party scenes, sure, the the rest of the estate staff uh, sort of spying on them or being spied on by them uh, throughout the course of things, I think, adds to us understanding Miss Julie herself as a character. Um, mm-hmm. And... The background of her parents is meant to do that too. Right. But I think the way it's presented is too too much. Now I mean, I don't know what's exist... in the story though. I mean, like I that's where I'm that's where I am missing a key element is that like I don't know how much of that interaction right. is described if... in the dialogue that the the character on in the stage play would be sharing. Right. Right. And I, not having seen or even read the play, I can't. I can't definitely speak to that. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think there is there is ways in which those characters are acted, where True. they yeah. would that definitely changes. Even if it, even if everything we see existed in text, right. Um, and certainly, uh, Schreinberg. Um, has been accused of misogyny, uh, perhaps even wrote this at one of his lowest points with regard to uh, women um, after, I believe, his second of three divorces. Uh, and three divorces in the latter half of the 19th century is yeah, uh, something, <laughs> certainly outside the norm. Right. Um, so... Uh, I think the misogyny probably exists and, and even in what we see in the, this is, this is another one of our, our problems with anything. So frequently we encounter movies that are about some sort of battle of the sexes that you and I are just wholly disconnected. From yeah. Well, and the weird thing because about, we, like the... we don't have the essentialist view of what the sexes are. Right. Too. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And then, yeah. and yes, exactly. And like, it's just, not only are we kind of unequipped, but like it's starting to feel like it's a theme. Yeah. Like I'm starting to get the impression that maybe you and I signed up for some sort of weird ass red pill <laughs> thing that we didn't realize <laughs> when we did this. It's like, is this what the Criterion Collection is about? I don't know. Every so often they show, they throw us something that's so in our wheelhouse that we can't. <laughs> yeah, just... that it feels like. So like I'm starting to get the impression the, the okay, if I were to like boil the, the, the entire criteria collection down. I guess I would get like some sort of weird half red pill battle of the sexes, <laughs> like, but also Marxist revolution. I'm not. I'm not clear on there what are, world the Criterion Collection imagines in the future. There, are, there are two wolves in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> yeah, and they, yes, they're battling it out for sure. And they are battling it out. Um, maybe that is the battle of the sexes. Maybe it's there's two two executives <laughs> making film decisions. One of, one of them, like the two a, consoles of Rome or something, like this yes. two turns or whatever. <laughs> or it's your turn to pick a movie, and then they like, all right. Well, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick the Marxist one. Okay. Well, it's my turn. Battle of the sexes is back. Hey, wait a minute. What about that space movie I liked as a kid? Right, yeah, yeah. It's, just like, it's actually so. It's actually there's three wolves. Actually, <laughs> yes. then there's yes. just like 
like Dave over in the corner who gets to pick like once every twelve times or whatever. It's yes. like, and it's just exclusively picking weird nostalgic items from his childhood. Uh, guys, you haven't let me pick one in over two hundred. Uh, it's fine. You get it's a box my set. Turn. You get a yeah. box set. This yeah, you get time. a box set of weird shit. Uh, maybe, or, maybe. It's like, what, what's the way? I always forget the name of the director who does the um, the 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 um generative art pieces with the like baking. Oh, yeah. the, the, yeah. What's his name? Um, I can never remember Brackage. Stan yeah, Brackage. Brackage. So like, I assume Dave picks Brackage. <laughs> like that's that's Dave's highbrow pick is Brackage. Yes. He's like, yes. ah, time for another Brackage box set. <laughs> oh gosh, I like I like this view of the criteria. I'm a big fan of Dave, though. Let me tell you, Dave is Dave is definitely the is Dave's definitely. A, Dave saved a us fan. a number of times. It's yeah. true. Uh, anyway, uh, while while Schloberg's adaptation gets bogged down in the sexism of Julie's parents, there is certainly sexism in Julie and Jean and the cooks. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, if you were even if you didn't have those flashbacks, yeah. you would have it there. Yeah. Like the misogyny yeah. is there. Period. Yeah, um, pretty hardcore, frankly. And of course, it's interesting because that 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 misogyny here is balanced against a class politic. Um, right, but that's like that class politic is like a weird sort of red herring, right? Because right, it's I like agree. It, it's it's there almost to make you feel okay about the misogyny. It's like well. It's okay because this person is is also an evil oppressor, so it's fine. Right, right, yeah, and it's very. Well, no, the net result is I don't think we accomplish what the direct like. I don't think we accomplish what either the, either director or writer of the original play are trying to accomplish, which is like to balance out. What it means is there's just no good people in the movie. <laughs> there's just nobody I like. We managed to get through the end of the movie. I'm like, well, I didn't like, well, any of these people. Oh, I like the cook. The cook, okay. Kristen's but the cook fine. becomes. I imagine in the original play, the cook has to be a much more major character because there's only the three of them on stage. Right, right. Um, the cook in this adaptation, at least, is pretty well downplayed for most of the movie. Yeah, and as a result, yeah, the cook's fine, but I also don't know the cook like at all. Right. She becomes an object of Gene when Julie's not around. Right. right? It's, and that's her only function. And that is... Only that only is, at the very end does she have really any role to play in their direct interaction. Which, again, right. if it's all taking place in the kitchen, I assume characters leave and come and, you know, come and go. And so, like, you know, it's only ever two of them at any given time, a lot of times probably. But nonetheless, that would... Unless it's essentially, unless the play is actually just about two characters with a one side character dynamic, which would be even harder to do. Yeah. Um, I imagine that, that in some ways, I imagine that by adding all the extra characters, that ended up reducing the cook's role in the story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like in in another, in I can only imagine that in the play version. The cook has a much larger role to play because there are literally only three people on stage, and the play and 
them telling a story without a third person to interact with would probably be not very interesting. You know what I mean? Like because uh, two, just two, one person telling a story, one person reacting to the story, is not a lot of dynamic. Right. Uh, and I can't imagine that would be the most popular play ever. Right. And the class politic also gets complicated too, in that you know. Gene tells this story about how he saw her as a child and fell in love with her. And then Julie responds by telling a story about how her childhood sucked. Right. Right. So, so the, uh, the rich exists under their own pressures is also a sort of sub. Right. Yeah. I mean, sub theme of this, uh, Yeah. Right, and, and well, and they do a, they they do kind of play the class politics both way, right? Because like, the they she is they lose everything essentially that they have, and then sort of pseudo rebuild it with like a weird loan, right? Like I mean, it's like they are yeah. in this class politics. They are definitely in this higher like, but class tier. But even in that moment, um, the. Uh, the cares of the aristocracy are shown to be materialistic. Totally, like he, yeah. He announces, save everything that it's possible to save, and they start trucking the paintings out yeah, the door. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, and this is, this is before he goes to find his daughter, right? Absolutely. Like, no, yeah, I mean, her, her dad is not a good person. <laughs> right, uh, right. The movie does a good job of making sure we know that. <laughs> uh, that's that, that part is fine. Like, I, but the at issue the same is, time... At the same time, he's presented as sympathetic for having a domineering wife who doesn't care about him. I, right? I dislike so. so intensely their relationship as yes. to 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 borderline not want to finish the movie. Like it is, <laughs> it, it was so un, it made me so unhappy. Yeah. Like it's not just domineering though, but also like it's like a weird straw man argument about what feminism is. It's yeah. It's 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 a while. It's you can like, let's be honest here. Uh, our you know was it Strindberg? It's Strindberg, right? Like he, yeah. like yeah, you can kind of feel like maybe why he was on his third marriage, um, <laughs> pretty clearly. He like it's got a lot of it. It will I will say that it has a bears a startling resemblance to our current societies way of dealing with feminism and, and, and some of that stuff, right? Like, it's like the, cr- just constructing this insane straw man version where it's like, well, this yeah. is what feminists want. And it's like, like we're going to make every little girl watch cows be slaughtered daily or something. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? 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 Like, what? What, yeah. what are we talking about here right now? Yeah. And it gets even even more weirdly essentialist in its feminism. Like, she's not... She's not looking for equality. She's looking for a uh, complete reversal. So all right, of the yeah. women do all of the men's work, and all of the men do all of the women's work on the on the estate. And of course, that fails because it's bound to fail. Um, right, but yeah, it's not bound it's... to fail for the reasons that uh, the they don't society have here wants. This... <laughs> right, right, right. Like these people are trying to do jobs they don't have training for. Yeah, that's right. that seems like a good reason why it would not do well for very, for a while. Uh, but no, it's just like, oh well, 
the, they just can't handle these jobs. Well, yeah. I mean, it's got that weird thing, right, where it does that really – it's it's more than an essentialist. It's like it is literally the current straw man the, – the ongoing, never-ending straw man argument of a feminism where it's like she's just actively trying to turn her daughter into a boy – Right. Basically, like by making her do all the the stereotypically boy things, right? It's like, no, that's not that's not a thing. Like, what? Like, yeah. So you get the impression that maybe Steinberg is a little angry <laughs> about stuff. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, there's there's that that it's Steinberg filtered through Slowberg so you yeah, know, you course, and I yeah. you and I don't have the basis to to know necessarily what of that is coming from Steinberg and what of that is coming from Slowberg but, I assume yes. it's a little bit of both like I assume I mean if it's if it's even a I mean I have a question for you do people like this movie I believe that people like this movie do do Swedish people like this movie <laughs> Is I guess the actual question I was going to ask, um, or did at some point in history Swedish people like this movie? Maybe they don't now, but one of the one of the bonus features is a hundred year retrospective on Miss Julie as a piece of Swedish uh, culture, and while that that principally focuses on the. Uh, on the play um and even as recently as 2014 Liv Ullman directed an adaptation yeah, of this yeah I saw that uh uh so that is certainly still a a uh I suppose Liv is is actually Norwegian but nonetheless um it is it is a uh a Nordic relationship to this um and and Omen's association with Swedish film is manifest, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's. I know you're asking about this film particularly, uh, and I I guess I can't really necessarily answer that with the knowledge I have right now, right? Um, but it seems like it is not disliked. Um, right. And so what I was kind of going, I, you know, I've actually lost track of what I was going. There was an argument <laughs> based on that. And I'm sorry to say I've lost it. But I think my thought process was that this movie would be disliked if it were wildly dissimilar from. Right. Right. The play that everybody likes. You know what I mean? Like, I think I, that's I, mean, I read about liberties in the I mean, in the in the film sort of synopsis on Wikipedia. You read about some liberties that were taken and stuff like that. They're not no specifics are really given. Um yeah. uh but like but I I imagine that at, at its core it has to be basically the same thing, right? Otherwise you would all the articles would talk about like how different it is, right? Like whenever we've yeah. watched an adaptation that is wildly different, all the articles are about how wildly different it is. Yeah. And and this is none of the art, the articles are not about that. I assume I didn't right. read the articles. Right. I make they really aren't. Um, <laughs> but no, like, thank you for it. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to read, Adam. I, I know. it's I mean it's a burden that I carry, and uh, it makes being an English teacher extremely hard. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm surviving. Uh, no, it's it's what I'm saying is is that um, in that 
situation, what I what I mean to say is that like they can't be so wildly different that like all the things that are said by all the characters are just not in the play. Yeah. And there's enough examples of what what I would call Steinberg's anger. Yeah. That it has to be a part of the play. It just has to be. It can't all be. Uh, forgot the director's name. Stromberg. Stromberg. S J O. So. Stromberg. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like it it can't be just him. It has to be a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you pointed out, yeah, direct you know acting and stuff is part of it, but there are also just things that are said. Yeah. A lot of things well, that are said. Steen's Steen's uh, essay for Criterion, which is the one more about. Uh, Scheinberg as a director um, in one of the few instances of her mentioning this film in the essay that is ostensibly about this film right. <laughs> is, uh, is quote the moment Schloberg departs from Schneinberg's plays text his screen versions become slanted in an overstated misogynist direction for instance by his adding the caricatured portraits of Julie's feminist mother and her father as a helpless male victim, end quote. Okay, so maybe that stuff isn't so, in there. I mean, like, yeah. yeah so that Steer is suggesting like... that that is, that is heavily added. Over, um, okay. Yeah. Huh, interesting. But, but I have to imagine that talking about... Yeah, but, like, what would the plot of the play be right, without it's, that? It's still an hour and a half conversation, so it's got to it's gotta be talking about their their individual backgrounds and dreams, right? So... Yeah, and and I assume like, and so I'm really. I mean, I guess I'd, I don't want to read this play, Adam. <laughs> well, it's too late to do that anyway. So. Well, I mean, no. Sometimes I just literally just fill in back knowledge <laughs> for this podcast because I want to. Yeah. Is a thing that happens sometimes. Because um, <laughs> I'm like, I realize after the fact, like, well, I'm woefully unprepared for this. I yeah. should go read a thing. <laughs> um, so prepare myself for the thing I already did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Like, better late than never. Okay. I get it. I get uh, it. It helps me in the in future, supposedly, yeah. theoretically, yeah. probably not. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, my point is, is that like, I can't imagine that Schoberg's just like fucking pulling it a hundred percent out of his out of his ass, though, right? Yeah, I like he so. just entirely made up the plot of the because at its fundamental core, it's still the plot of the story. Right. Right. It's like still it, unless her motivations in this film are entirely made whole cloth by Schoberg, which seems unlikely right she describes something like this in the play right Right. she describes some world where and maybe like maybe what our you know what we're talking about here is like how overtly ridiculous it gets with like making all the men workers do the women's jobs and the women yeah workers do the men's job maybe all that is showberg like just juicing it up or whatever right in which i can in which case i can see the argument made by in the in the article because it's like well that's a lot of juice to add for no reason right yeah uh, a lot of stupid ridiculous juice to add for no reason and it would and that point would address some of the things i complained about like the idea that like they're just literally just making like they're the movie's weird idea of feminism is just making the daughter behave like a boy if that's all juice that was added by showberg then yeah maybe right like maybe it still has that that misogynistic core, but maybe it's not nearly as overt, right? Yeah. It's not nearly as like in your face, like this is rid- like ridiculous straw man argument sort of style. 
Um, so that's possible. But, I mean, we are here to talk about the film, right? And the film definitely does right. that. Right. Like, the film, what, regardless of what the original play is, the film is that. Uh, and it's weird. It's it's uncomfortable to watch. Right. Um, also interesting to live live Ullman's adaptation of this is that uh, her, Julia, and John are uh, are played by Jessica Chasen and Colin Farrell. So maybe it's oh, not weird. not quite as uh, Nordic of a of an interpretation as as it could be. Um, which means it's almost certainly done in English as well. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I, not that that matters, but no, right? I, well, yeah, but I, I'm yeah. just imagining like Colin Farrell being like like l- trying to learn Swedish or something. I don't know. This yeah. is amusing to me now as a as a mental sort of <laughs> side trip here. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So as as near as i can tell with a little cursory research again i think the the childhood flashbacks are at least part of the play i imagine right. that the uh that gene witnessing the disillusion of julie's engagement doesn't doesn't seem like it would be whole cloth invented for that, right. that feels like part of a conversation. I, I kind of imagine that the flashbacks would be in the play. They just wouldn't be right. as explicit about like right. some they of the details. They wouldn't be flashbacks, right? Yeah. Right. They would be, yeah, exactly. They would be a description rather than like the flashback where you can show a bunch of stuff that is yeah, just not possible in a flashback where you're just yeah. or in a, uh, a, a description. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Um. That's interesting. The play takes place on the eve of St. John, um, whereas our our film sort of talks about it as Midsummer. Um, St. John's Day is uh, mid June, June twenty fourth. So, okay. um, I think uh, I one hundred percent do not know. Yeah. Yeah. So St. John's Eve um, is June 23rd. The feast day of St. John the Baptist is the 24th. Um, anyway, all of that to say, our our main male lead is John. Uh, so if the story takes place on St. John's Eve, it has an automatic religious overtone <coughs> with our main character, right? Or with right. one of our main characters. Um Kristen, is, the cook, is explicitly a more devout uh, Christian than either of the other characters. Right. Um, and is the betrothed to John. Um, that just, it adds, it adds an interesting other dimension that I feel like the film dropped. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it, to the point where, like, Kristen almost doesn't seem to care by the end. <laughs> yeah. That her air quotes fiance is yeah off having an affair like and like i feel like the movie tries to like sort of like hand wave it by like at one point in the movie she says something to the effect of like nothing ever came of it yeah and i was like i movie i don't know what that means 
<laughs> You're going to need to give me some more information. You can't just say we were we're fiance, but like nothing. You know what I mean? Like you can't just say those things and expect me to understand what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, but yeah, um, one of the more interesting things to come up from that hour-long documentary on the history of the play in Sweden uh, is the discussion of motivations in a more recent staging of it Mm -hmm. that they're sort of focusing on um and one of the one of the things the director comes comes with there the director of that stage play who they're talking to um is when julie decides to commit suicide Mm -hmm. uh and in his view this entire night is julie having one last hurrah and actually living for once because she has already decided she's going to kill herself okay um, which I think is a very interesting interpretation. It's a it's an interesting reading. I don't know if it exactly tracks with what we get to see on screen, but it is interesting yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the the otherwise solution to that is to say that Jean more directly <clears throat> contributes to her decision to Can commit suicide. I, I am okay with that. <laughs> Like yeah. as a reading of this play, right? Like that yeah. he, like Gene, he's obviously a bad person. <laughs> right. Like I mean, like I don't have a, I don't need to read him as like somehow the victim of, of her in some weird way, the victim of her, like final hurrah pre suicide. Like I don't need that. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting interpretation. I I don't disagree with it as a. You could definitely read it that way, and I think that's fine. Actually, another another interesting aspect from that documentary was the discussion of Jean's characterization as um, as someone with coarse edges, or maybe a coarse inside, but pristine edges, rather. Uh, he has this knowledge. He has these high tastes. Um, you know, he drinks the Count's uh, cognac, for instance, uh, instead of the beer that he offers to Julie. Um, uh Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but yeah, also like, but also he's just you know this this lower class uh, jerk um, inside, uh, which I think was was fascinating because the way it's talked about is as if that is such a hard thing to portray and a hard thing to accurately capture. Uh, when that is an accurate description of nearly every bartender and server I have ever worked with yep, in my entire yep, life. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, like, and considering the overlay between stage actors and service industry people, um, it's not, yeah, not yeah, maybe I mean, that far of an acting jump. That, uh, well, yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, like, it, it I mean, yeah, like, Again, we're we're kind of coming. From, you and I maybe are coming from a weird place in the sense that, like, this is a hundred years later or whatever, right? But like, yeah, yeah. But that the play, the play adaptation that they're talking about, the staging that they're talking right, about, right. Is, is maybe fifteen years ago. So right, right. That's true. Yeah, I'm. I'm well, but yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. In, in yeah. like for me, but like, he, but they talk about that that as being a historical look at who 
gene is and why it's a difficult right. role to play because you you have to exist in that dichotomy but i i laughed when they said that because that right. is a dichotomy where i i could name a dozen people who exist in that dichotomy right, right. today um Right. Well, and that's that's kind of where I was coming from is that like, yeah, yeah their description is maybe absurd and, and sort of ludicrous. Right? right. I was just sort of thinking about in my head the idea that like I, I again, we because we don't know about that much about historical sort of historical context. Right. It's like but like that's also like if you were just like every movie slash TV show that features the sort of uh, downstairs staff has this sort of element to it right like or a lot of them do right where it's like where it's like well yeah i mean you you have to interact with high society so you have to be able to do performatively at least be able to know what's going on right it, yeah. it, i don't know it's just it's yeah i mean an, an aspect of this that we really haven't talked about is that the relationship dynamics do change after they have sex right that Gene becomes much right. more aggressive and domineering after right. they have sex, um, which is really where the misogyny comes more more overtly into play. Right. I well, think. and, and so. the, at least in the movie, it gives there's this like there's a couple indications that like it was like a plot, yeah, to like turn the tables, which is really gross. Yeah. So like that that part was kind of another sort of upsetting element is that he frames it at least at one point, And I think more than once frames it as though like, ah, oh, yes, I was just going to, I was just setting you up to do this kind of thing. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And then he continues, he continues that in a needlessly domineering way, like killing the bird. Like why? Yeah. I mean, Gene's a bad person. Yeah. Gene's a monster. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, I guess within that framework, like the movie does a good job of definitely letting you know he's a monster. Yeah, but also within the framework of of the tale, I don't know that they want us to think he's a monster for doing that because what he's doing is destroying the last vestige of her relationship with her previous fiance. Right. Right. Um, which which implies that he is, in a way, setting her free from the past in doing so. Uh, he is doing it in the very wrong way. And well, right. But hopefully like, we are meant like, to judge him for that as well. Right. So. But also, like, that's not, like, the, she doesn't tell him to murder the bird. Yeah. Like, that's not a choice he's supposed to be allowed to make. Well, she does kind of. Because yeah, she's, it's very she says, weird. I'd rather see him dead than than leave him. And she says, "All right, give it to me." <laughs> right, but also like he after he demands that she yeah. can't bring the bird. Right, it's right. like well the, he doesn't need to do that. It's like ah well this bird will foil our escape. That like let's be honest, you don't get the impression that Gene's actually going to go with her. It like it all still feels like a weird setup, right? The whole time. Yeah. Like maybe I'm wrong, but I get the impression he's still just leading her on when when they're talking about running away and stuff like he I don't know. I maybe it's just me, but like I had a really hard time like reading the movie like I never got the impression that 
he maybe because it he said that thing earlier i sort of was like oh he's not serious like he doesn't take any of this seriously yeah it's just how i read it and so i was like well so like he's just trying to you know right and that's and just he my also, reading when when she reveals that she really has no money he also becomes even more overtly mean to her and dismissive of her right to to the point where it's it's very weird in the way he 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 begins to act like he doesn't want anything to do with her, even as he still allows her to tag along in this dream of running away, right? Right. So it's, its own sort of weird thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and that's why I, I found I found their relationship, ex- for me personally, very confusing. I had a really yeah. hard time understanding like honestly just kind of understanding what was going on as embarrassing it as it is to say that like i was like right. a lot of time i was just like i don't know what's happening here like i don't know if they're like are they running away together is she just running away because she doesn't want to face her like father like oh like i i, I could never get a full firm grasp yeah. on like are they running away together yeah um Another seeming change from the play is that uh, apparently in the play, his dream is to be a waiter in Stockholm, which is to say okay. his, his dream is to do the exact same job he's doing now, <coughs> but, in the big city. but under his own terms in the big city. Um, whereas in, in the movie that's presented, he wants to be, what's he say? He wants to be the porter of a hotel in uh, Paris or something. Um somewhere in continental Europe, uh, which, uh, which incidentally gets the criterion website to say, uh, to recommend the night Porter as a related film to this, (laughs) which, which I guess it's not its only cursory, uh, there's the, the boot kissing, I suppose has some sort of sadomasochistic, uh, that we could could tie to that too. But, but yeah, the night Porter gets, (laughs) It's a recommendation. Wow. Um, but yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's possibly a difference. But again, we don't, without having the text of the play in well, front of us. And, and we should and just operate within the, right. the framework. Uh, I mean, like, we kind right. of, like, keep diverging that's, from well, it. Well, like, the weird thing is that all of the peripheral material in the Criterion Collection's release of this is about the, is is about about the, the, play, about the play, not about the movie. Yeah. So it's. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's just it's it's really like, and I think, and then I I really can't not believe that the movie doesn't sully the water a little bit and make this harder to understand. Yeah. I really just have to believe that's true because, like, this movie, if this were just a standalone movie with no connection to the play, do you think that like do you think that this movie would be like really highly regarded? I mean, it's visually interesting. Like, I mean, it's visually the it's yeah. shot well. It's it's interesting to look at. Yeah, and to get um, back to something I mentioned earlier, like I really, really do love like when she talks about her childhood, where we get her in the foreground sitting in the picture, <laughs> sitting like in the bottom left of the screen, right? As her dad walks through in the back, holding her as a little girl, and that's right. the transition. To, yeah, that's all really neat. Yeah, right? it's really neat. But like, I don't know if it's like. 
I, yeah, it's not like to say it because, again, we've talked about how being in yeah. the Criterion Collection means nothing. But, think, like, it's just... I, I'm not super impressed with the movie as a standalone piece of art. Like, I'm kind of a little bit. Like, as you described, the flashbacks are neat. There's some interesting yeah. framing. Like, when, like, the portrait falls down in the way he, like... There's some oh, really yeah. neat stuff that happens. Oh, yeah. Where, um, when he's literally getting crushed by the upper class the, for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's like... Some of that stuff is really neat. But then it's also, as a movie, in, in many other ways, so problematic. Yeah. That it's kind of like, I don't know that I like this. This is like... <laughs> right. This is not... Like, this is not a pleasant experience. And... And a lot of that comes from a lot of, even if it's not additions, it's a lot of just stuff in here that, like, yeah, feels kind of gross. Yeah. And I think periphery to that regard is uh, is the Matthews essay, which is essentially a take that to the Criterion Collection itself for only releasing one Schloberg, <laughs> Schoberg movie <laughs> as, right, it right. Releases, as it releases every Bergman movie. <laughs> Right. Well, and, I, and as an argument, that's an interesting argument. That is yeah. definitely a, a worthwhile argument to, to yeah. make. I like. I feel like, you know, that it's hard to say if he's right. Yeah. Uh, considering where we're coming from, but at right. the same and time, we'll, it's And like, we will never have the ground knowledge we'll never know. yeah, without, we'll never know. without Criterion choosing to change that. Yeah. Right. Um, But at the same time, it, it is... um. This this is maybe maybe not a good representation. I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like that for me personally. It doesn't feel like that clean of a movie because, like, again, there's the weird misogyny kind of really that gets really heavy at times, right? Like really overt and heavy at times. Combined with, I kind of find the plot a little bit just sort of hard, not hard to follow. Like it's a very basic plot, but. Their their relationship is baffling to me, basically. If I'm being, you know, I've kind yeah. of already said it, but it, I find their relationship to be a little baffling. Um, I I don't I can't like lock it down in my head. Like, is he, is this like one of those things where is he nagging her? Is that basically what's happening here? I don't. He definitely like, seems to be after, after they have sex at least. Right, and then, but like, also but in a way oldest... she is before. Before they have sex, right? Exactly, and 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 that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Except right. for like, she's kind of doing that, and then like, it seems like I I find his motivations more confusing. Like hers are like in the pre them having sex it seems to just be to like mess around, right? Right. But is his goal to like get her to pay for his? them moving to France or is his goal to also just to kind of like mess with her? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I can't figure out what his motivations are. She is taking their class differences and using that as a means of fucking with him. Absolutely. Prior. And, and that is very but, clear. But with an intent that she really does desire him but the class differences would not allow that to happen right and then when it happens she reveals that all of that is just a show right so he right. has he has reason 
to say, forget everything. It's all just a show, so I'm going to act how I want to act. Right. Uh, and in that regard, acting how he wants to act is to <laughs> use his own weird power dynamics against her. Right. Uh, well, and I get that. I mean, I get, but those, those that, are all, those are all, those are all manifestations in theory of their actual primary motivation, right? Right. As character. And like hers, as far as I could tell, was like my basic interpretation of her motivation was she's, uh, me and Rumi were watching this together, okay? Yeah, and and we kind of both came to the agreement because like she only watched the first half of the film. She like bailed like almost exactly halfway, uh, which is almost exactly where they have sex. Uh, yeah. Like she left before that happened, so she never got to the point of like seeing that change in dynamic, right? But our basic sort of like interpretation in the first half of the film was she's just a bad person who is also very horny. Uh is kind of where we came down to it's it like right, she right. wants to do this she really wants to she do really this. does want to do it and the only way she can kind of express that is it sort of turns into that like school girl school boy sort of thing right of like pulling hair and stuff right yeah but a but a class dynamic version of that where like she wants to express these feelings but really can't and so like and then it ha- and so like i kind of read her her motivation as just being kind of just yeah, kind of just horny. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the, essentially her motivation. Another aspect of that is, at least in Schoberg's version, that she lacks the emotional tools to have done that because of her childhood, right? She right. she was taught to reject men, period. Um, right. In in Schoberg's very very strange interpretation of what <laughs> feminism is, yes, right, right, like. But yes, you're at least in his version, the one we are faced with, right. that is the case. And and my issue is is that like I don't But I can't is, I can't put that all on Schoberg because that is certainly the uh stereotypical straw manning of feminism in the late nineteenth century too. So Absolutely, totally. I, I just we we don't know and I've kind of yeah. tried to I'm just trying to like abandon talking about the play. It's, we just don't fucking right. know anything. Right. Um but like my issue is, is what I was talking about is like her, but her motivation to me is comprehensible. Is his motivation just revenge? Which is fine. That's a fine. That's fine for a movie. That's a that is a that revenge is a totally fine motivation for a movie. But then he it keeps having these extra bits sprinkled in. I can't tell if it's still just revenge. Like there's a I part think... of me that says he's talking about this running away to Paris and all this shit. As just revenge to like get her worked up with a whole plan to then like fuck her like to just get revenge by just totally telling her that's all bullshit. I don't know. Like, I you think know. I think that might be part of it, but not necessarily overtly revenge. I think what is going on with with Gina's character is that he has legitimately longed for her since childhood, and because mm-hmm. of that she is on this pedestal. And because of the class right. separation, she is on this pedestal. Right. And when she reveals herself to be human... He doesn't like it. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. And has decided to force her uh, into that same pedestal disappointment relationship as quickly as possible with him on the pedestal. Right. 
right? So he positions herself himself as her negging savior, and uh, right, uh, with the intent of pulling everything out from under her. Maybe not well, that, everything. Everything. That's where Maybe I'm trying he to does go, like, that's, want her to go to Paris with him and and, and because be like his he wife has whatever, to know but. also that there there's a world where the Duke just murders him, right? <laughs> I suppose. Well, what I mean is, is that like in the class because of the class dynamics combined with the gender dynamics i don't necessarily i didn't i meant that in a sort of a a hyperbolic sort of interpretation of that but my point is, is that like she's scared of what will happen right yeah but he should be too because there's lots of versions of this world where where a person from the lower class having sex with a person from the higher class, the person from the lower class is the one who gets in trouble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he... So, like, what I was trying to sort of in my head wrap my head around with when I was watching is, is he also trying to run away or not? And I could never kind of come in my mind to a firm final answer to that, partially because we just never get there. Yeah. Um the movie takes a turn away from that. But like, it's like, is he messing with her and just convincing her to run away as kind of a fucking with her thing? Or is he trying to make her run away because he also needs to get the fuck out of Dodge? Yeah. And I don't have an answer to it. It's, it's just, it's a thing that kind of, it's it, also it, another, it, another aspect is that in having, in having sex with her, whatever that might have done to change their relationship uh, locally between the two of them, it also means he does have to leave. Period. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. He's, He's got to, to be out of there, or her dad's going to punish him. Well, I mean, in even some if manner. he doesn't, even if he doesn't, one way or the other, he's leaving. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's no world where he's still working there when this is over. Right. Like, let's <laughs> assume that like the dad is at the very, very least he's getting fired. Right, exactly. Right. That's what I mean. So, it's like he's not yeah. working there tomorrow. That's right. there's no universe where that is happening, and I and so like, I, I is he trying to leverage this? In, I assumed, in part, that he was trying to leverage this into. Well, I mean, I got to at least use her to get out of here, right? But I, it's really hard for me to, again, like it was very easy for me to read what was going on with her in the first half of the film. It was very hard for me to read in the second half of the film what he wa- what his ideal outcome is. Right. And, I mean, I, that's probably part of just telling a good story, but it meant that I spent a lot of the second half of the movie kind of struggling a little bit to, like, his decisions seem to be haphazard. Like, sometimes he's nagging her and, like, building himself up on a pedestal in front of her, and then other times he seems to be sort of just like trying to convince her to run away with him. And I guess what I've just described is like nagging anyway, right? Like it's that whole right. like fucking crazy bar. But again, thing, it is it is shit, a we- it's presented as this twist because in the second half, he is doing to her a perhaps more extreme version in that it is direct and he is a lower class person doing it to an upper class person. But he is doing to her what she did to him in yeah, the first. I mean, it is I, mirrored, I read, right? It is mirrored. It is mirrored, but like it is also because one exists on one side of the sex and the other exists on the other side, 
it does read very differently, right? right? Like, even if one ignores the class differences, right, it it would still read differently because it's like, especially considering all of the background on her is to explain away the class differences too, right? Right. <laughs> so exactly, and it, say it's... they don't really matter because she isn't uh, what you think she would be as an upper class lady. So. Right. Right, because I think the movie, at least the movie, doesn't really want you to think of this as a class-based drama, really. Uh, I mean, it, it is, it is, because you know, the world. But um, you know, it, it is. I think the movie wants it to be almost purely gender di- dynamics or something like that, right? Yeah. And then also feminist straw man arguments. That's right. what the movie wants, right? Like that's the movie. The movie's going for that, right? The movie's right. like, I know what we want here. I know what I my audience came to see. Feminist straw man arguments. Well, I guess they're I that's a weird phrase. Anti I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to use adjectives with I don't know. It's all confusing. Yeah. I don't know which side I don't know how to form <laughs> that sentence, but you know what I mean. I you get know what, what I mean. Yes. Sometimes I know what you mean. Well, I mean, what I'm struggling with is, I guess technically the phrase would be anti-feminist straw man argument because the term straw man right. applies to the person applying the argument, not the person <laughs> right, right. the argument's about, I think. Yeah. Anyway, English sucks, yes. man. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I think some of my students listen to this podcast too, which is great. <laughs> you're, going to, you're going to come in to your... To your internet class Monday morning, and uh, assuming it's still an internet class six weeks from now. Well, yeah, six weeks from now, when I'm not having class anymore. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, you know, at some point your students are just going to pop up and, and say, uh, just play that clip of yeah, English right. sucks. Over yeah, and like, of you we don't need it. We don't need, your, we don't need your education, Pat. English sucks. It's all just another brick in the wall, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're going to storm out of my internet class by logging <laughs> off. By by tapping leave conversation twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prematurely before the class is over. Yeah. Uh yeah. No, I it, no, it's well, I I I I my operating thought process is if, if their English has gotten good enough to understand anything we fucking say here. <laughs> like I'm probably okay. <laughs> You're probably yeah. It's a, it's actually it's a it's an indication that you're doing very. good. I'm doing a really good job at my job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Oh man, I I don't know what else we could talk about without just rehashing what we've no, already. I, talked I don't, about, and so. I don't think we need to. I mean, like, yeah, we we come down in a place where, like, I mean, we didn't really talk about much of the film because the the actual sort of like artwork of the film yeah we talked about the transitions into the flashbacks and some of that but like for me it didn't feel that it didn't feel super innovative in in sort of film craft with her i mean it is it is i mean it's nicely made it is beautiful but we've also watched enough bergman films where again right. that sort of spoiled us on like beautiful swedish film craft right like <laughs> right right like dude knows how to use a, like knows how to do that and so that's, that's interesting uh, cuz it 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 brings me back around to the matthews essay in which right. he essentially calls bergman uh, uh, a, f- <laughs> a fraud a fraud <laughs> a pretender to the throne um 
But uh, but also another interesting aspect of the Matthews essay that I didn't bring up is that he blames um, Sweden's neutrality during the war as the rise of the Swedish film industry or for the rise of the Swedish film industry in that uh, no, you know, uh, German bloc countries wouldn't be bringing in Hollywood movies. And certainly nothing in the West was was buying anything German at the time, film wise. So so the Swedes, as neutral, were one of the only uh, only countries in Europe or the West that had uh, both markets open to them. Um, and, right, uh, but like I mean, I guess I would industry have jumped into that. Um, I, I now, would of have course, to do a every lot Swedish film we've watched. True, every Swedish film we've watched is post nineteen fifty. So none of that. Right, exactly. That's what I'm struggling with. Is like so, I don't have a real good grasp on like. Was the Swedish film industry really bumping during World War II? We're like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And guess what? Probably never going to know. And I don't even know that Matthews successfully makes that argument. Right. <laughs> Except that's uh, kind of, I feel yeah. like somebody's being very contrarian. Yeah. Somebody's like, I am going to write an essay that will blow, like, blow people's yeah. socks off. Yeah. But Schoberg coming up in the 40s is is then presented as the sort of epitome of that ideology that uh, that Schoberg uh, because of Sweden's unique position in the war Schoberg makes uh, they stake their lives in 1940 uh, the road to heaven 1942 we already talked a little bit about torment which is 1944 and the movie that Bergman uh, wrote for him which got Bergman start as a uh, as a, a screenplay writer, um, mm. uh, which, you know, sort of builds in a similar way to all the other new waves post-World War II around the world that we see. It just puts uh, puts Sweden a little bit ahead of that curve, which means that, you know, uh, watching Bergman and Schoberg is, is what gets to inspire uh, the French New Wave, at least, and right, and blah blah blah, all the way down the line. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting aspect of it, but I think mostly I mentioned that to say that I am very intrigued that the Criterion Collection is showing us this movie, but everything, all the peripherals, all of the bonus materials included on the Criterion DVD aren't really about this movie. Right, which tells me I would say that yeah. probably, like, a lot of people don't have really strong opinions about this movie. Yeah, um, which is interesting in and of itself. But it is about, you know, even to a certain extent of, of uh, you know, Bergman cribbing off of the visual style of this movie to, to establish his own career. Um, and I think that's fair. Um, but also presented as a weird <laughs> to call Bergman a, a pretender or uh, or to accuse him of stealing in any sort of way uh, is a weird <laughs> a bit, just a weird thesis for your essay I guess is right. what I'm saying well exactly yeah that's kind of uh, where I was going with it too and because to, like yeah to bring that to an end and perhaps the end of the uh of the uh, essay is is a good place for us to end here. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> because it is kind of interesting. Matthew's Matthew's essay is fascinating, if nothing else. Uh, Schoberg died in a car accident in 1980 on his way to rehearsals at the Royal Dramatic Theater. Uh, Bergman then, at the Royal Dramatic Theater in 1985, staged a, quote, triumphant production of Miss Julie, um, which just seems like, given given Matthew's thesis, uh, is, is just the ultimate well, little knife twist in that entire story. Right. I mean, it does, so. it does. Yeah. If you, if you adopt Matthew's thesis, it's like yeah. dancing on his grave. Right. But like, right. right. It really requires you to have pretty hardcore buy into that thesis. <laughs> right. To make it be that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. Uh, an interesting movie. Um, apparently an interesting play. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe we should. Um, yeah, let's just let's stop this podcast and let's start a. I'm not starting. I'm not Adam. starting a stage review podcast. It's too one. How are actually we physically doing? impossible yes. for us to do that? Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, especially since you can't see basically ever watch stage productions on <laughs> film stage productions because that's just not uh, a thing that's ever done. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't. Also, that also part. considering that uh, there are no live <laughs> stage productions happening right now. <laughs> well, it, pretty much it, anywhere it, in this alternative universe I've created, where they actually do record and they well they do film stage productions. They just never release them. Um, where you could actually like rent slash watch stage productions um we would have a plenty of we have a fairly large back catalog to work through that's fair, so, that's fair. but since that doesn't exist yeah oh. we don't so what we'll do is you and i will get copies of stage production scripts mm-hmm. and then you and i will perform them for ourselves interesting and then review them okay um i think what we should actually do Mm-hmm. is to go ahead and end this podcast. Okay, not if you say so. This episode, not not. No, I think you're, I know what you mean. No, I, no. I mean, I'm, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I, <laughs> no, I know what you're talking no, about. No, 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 no. I think we should draw this episode to a close. Uh, this week we have been talking about Miss Julie, directed by uh, Alf Schloberg. And we made it this entire episode without pointing out that his first name is Alf. I was going to talk uh, about it because I, like, I, I don't want to talk about cat murder. Yeah, this has been uh, this has been Miss Julie, Alf Schloberg's nineteen fifty one film adaptation of the uh, uh, eighteen eighty eight, I believe, stage play of the same name. Next week we'll be talking about this sporting life, uh, directed by Lindsay Anderson, uh, our uh, our second Anderson film after the, of the uh, Decemberist. <laughs> yes, our second Decemberist film. Um, no, Lindsay Anderson also uh, directed. It wasn't that. That long ago, it was uh, if the uh, the school shooting oh, okay. movie yeah. starring. Uh, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, so the sporting life is. Uh, I'm going to bet it's another uh, another interesting one, if nothing else, because that film that film was interesting, but another yeah, another it was interesting kitchen sink drama. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's from 1963, again, directed by Lindsay Anderson, and we look forward to that. So thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Lee Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Hoatari Dorgan and the Adam Class, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at jonathanhape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. We'd appreciate it.